forewarn you that this is a unique kind of service as we come together. It's kind of a, what some would classify as a solemn assembly. And if you don't have a schema for that in your, in your mind, it's okay. We'll help write that today. Um, but as, in preparation for today, I just had to continue to reflect back on what it's going to take to bring us to a point of, of true introspection, to really examine who we are. And I think I have to ask you this question. You have to answer it from, from who you are, and that is, how transparent are you? How transparent are you when, when you... When your private world is over here and your public world is over here, how much do they interface with one another? Do people really see who you are from, from the depth and the core of your being? Or do they see who you are in the world in which you want them to see you or through the lenses in which you want them to see you? And that's one of those things that you're going to have to really think deeply about that is how much does my private life really influence my public life? And I think we, we can all think of people in, in the world and in our, in, our, in our circles of influence that, that we know the, half, the cup is half empty people. You know, where everything is, you give out five positives and they'll throw three negatives at you in a heartbeat. If they can't, they'll at least throw one or two at you. I don't care how bright of a day or how beautiful of a day it is. The cup just always seems to be half empty. The half empty people, they need a new perspective on life. And really, maybe what they're showing is really what's going on on the inside of their hearts, and, and they don't even realize it. I, I don't know. Then there's the half-full people, those people who everything is always half-full. And I think sometimes those people need a dose of reality because it's not always half-full. Sometimes it just stinks. Sometimes life's horrible. And, and, and it's trying to figure out how to live in the horrible state of life that I'm living in and, and, and how to somehow not lose focus and not lose my heart and not lose it in, in the midst of it all. I, t- I take you to the book of James today. One of the earliest written books, in the, one of the earliest writings in the New Testament, as, as James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this story, or excuse me, this letter to these early believers. And as he writes this letter, you've got to understand the context in which he's writing. He's writing to the church in Jerusalem that is undergoing severe levels of persecution. There, there's tremendous amounts of poverty. There is a reason to say that the cup is half empty in Jerusalem for the early church. They were not received and welcomed by the Jewish community. They were not well received by the Roman uh, powers that be. They were not received by any. They were totally marginalized. And in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of that poverty, in the midst of that suffering, in all of that down darkness... They were also seeing God do one of the greatest works that He's ever done in all, all, all the history, even to the present. That there was a movement, the Christian movement in that day, where 3,000 people in one message came followers of Christ. There was a movement of God that they were on the crest of a wave that would not stop until it reached our shores, and it's still flowing throughout the world. The movement of God was a beautiful thing that was going on in that time. Yet at the same time, the cup was definitely full and overflowing in some areas, but in other areas it was definitely dark and definitely lonely and definitely difficult. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the highs and the lows? How does your private life influence your public response? 
James gives us here in James chapter 5, where we'll be looking in a moment, some responses to the inner and the outer life that we wrestle with day to day. How much of the inner world do I truly expose to the, to the outer surface of who I am and let the world in on my, on my secrets? How much do I do that, whether it's good or bad? If I rejoice, then some people will be envious of my rejoicing. If I'm, if I'm down, then some people will just say I'm negative. So how much do I truly let out? But what, 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 what James does in this passage of Scripture is absolutely beautiful. Because he gives us the responses that we should to the inner workings of our life and what's really going on in the core of who we are. He helps us to understand the etiquette, if you will, of how we respond to life. And every response he gives us, you just mark this down, every response he gives us, it draws us closer to God. Every response he gives us bounces out the inner and the outer worlds that are going on. And every response that he gives us connects us into a deeper community with one another. Every response that he gives us. Where are you at in your own life, in your own walking with God, in your own day-to-day with him? There's at least three responses, maybe more in this passage of Scripture. I want to focus in on three of them. But let's begin reading in, in, in James chapter 5 so you can kind of see the, the simplicity of his responses here. James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, there are, there are again, three responses to the inner life that's going on. And the three connections are the first one is, are you suffering today? If you're, if you're suffering, then you need to cry out to God in prayer and petition to Him. And again, I'm going to let this room full of people. I'm going to let you define what that suffering is. For some of you, it's a broken relationship. For some of you, it's broken trust with someone that you loved and thought would be trustworthy to the very end. For others of you, your suffering is internal. It's something that happened way a long time ago, and you don't even want to talk about it. Some of it happened just last week, and, and you don't even know how to respond. The emotions are still raging inside of you. Some of it, the suffering that you might be going through may be a, a close family member. Or somebody, it may be distant from you. Maybe that person's living, and maybe that person's dead. The suffering that we go through sometimes... Maybe it's for religious reasons. Maybe it's not for religious reasons. Maybe it's for something totally obscure. But there, there are some of you in this room today that if you were transparent, to go back to my first question, if you were truly transparent and, and let the inner inside of you really be shown on the outside of you, you are broken and you are in tremendous amount of pain. And I don't know who you are. And many people around you don't know who you are. And maybe the person sitting right next to you right now doesn't know who you are. But you are suffering. 
James says what we are to do, the etiquette, if you will, the proper thing to do when you are suffering is to cry out to God in petition to Him. Pray, seek Him. You think, Mike, that is a very Sunday school answer, and I understand it. But sometimes I think we don't. We know what we're supposed to do. But we've tried it and maybe it didn't work and the, the pain didn't go away and the suffering didn't subside. And so we just kind of we bear down and say, God's not going to help me. I'm going to have to do this alone. And it's really tough in those times of suffering. Seasons of suffering. Decades of suffering. Whatever it is in some of your lives today, the pain is deep and it goes wide and it's been lasting too long. And we pray, God, take away the pain, take away the pain, take away the pain, and He doesn't take it away, so we give up on prayer. Maybe we need to change our prayer a little bit. Maybe our prayer is take away the pain, God, but if you don't, God, take away the the pain, would you shape me in the pain? Would you make of me something beautiful in the pain that I'm in? That may be you today. Crying out to God, changing your prayer. Because here's a, here's a statement I want you to remember. Okay, it's not really long, it's not really, it's not really complex. Never waste a pain. Never waste a pain. So if you are going through pain, then there needs to be something in there that you're going to cry out to God and say, God, for some odd reason, way beyond my control, I can't erase the pain. The pain is there. Please, Lord, help me to learn in the pain. Help me to learn from the pain. A life principle for you to remember is God does His deepest work in the darkest days of our life. We often ask for deliverance from suffering and we should be asking for deliverance from ourselves. Why, God? Why is our prayer many times we say, God, what, God, are you doing? What, God, are you shaping me into? C.S. Lewis said it like this, God whispers to us in our joys. He speaks to us in our difficulties, but He shouts to us in our pain. As again, I say, James was writing in a time when the church was undergoing severe persecution and loss. They were being dispersed abroad. And how were they going to survive in all this dispersion and all this persecution and all this poverty? Well, you go very back to the very beginning of James. So turn back a couple of pages to James chapter 1, and you'll find in the very first challenge, again, the most practical book in the New Testament is the, gospel, is the book of James, not the gospel of James, but the, the book of James. You don't know where you're going to read in the Bible tomorrow? Go to the book of James. It's a great one to start with. He'll give you very practical insights for living. But look at verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. So you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. God wants to build into you something. And He may be using the pain of your life to do just that. What is He trying to turn? What is He trying to make of you? Whenever you are in that time of suffering, He tells us to pray tells us to pray. When you think about the people in this world and, and who has suffered, Abraham Lincoln's greatest claim to fame was the Civil War. He was little known before then, but it showed his character. Robert Crusoe was written in prison. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress and 
the Bedford Jail, and Sir Walter Riley wrote the history of the world during 13-year imprisonment. Luther, Martin Luther translated the Bible confined to the castle of Wartburg. For 10 years, Dante, author of the Divine Comedy, worked in exile under the sentence of death. Beethoven was almost totally deaf and burdened with sorrow when he produced his greatest works. What are you going through right now that is so painful, so 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 harmful to, to, to your spirit that you don't know how you're going to make it through it? And how are you seeking God in prayer? Every one of you, hopefully, when you came in today, picked up a worship guide. In that worship guide, if it wasn't, didn't drop out on the ground, was a 3 by 5 card. That is your card. That is your card for a conversation with you and God. Start writing it now. You might be one who right now, throughout the rest of this message, you tune me out and you go to God and you just start writing about your suffering. God, I'm hurting here. God, why this? God, what are you doing here? And you just start writing out your prayer to God. Do that. This, this is your time. Again, this is a highly interactive time for you. You start writing it out. If you're like me, I'm not paragraph person. I'm a bullet point person. God, here. God, here. God, here. So whatever it is for you, whatever will help you, write out your prayer. We're going to have a time in a few moments where it's going to be your time. The service is going to be turned back over to you. And you can do with that time whatever you will. There will be verses that will appear on the screen. You can, you can read and meditate on those. You might need to take some time and just come here and lay on these pillows at the front and just cry out to God, God, I'm suffering and I don't know what to do with this. Maybe you'll leave your prayer here. Are you suffering today? He tells us to pray. Number two, he says, are you cheerful? He tells us to praise and give thanksgiving. Again, back in chapter 5, verse, verse 13, he says, let him pray. Who, uh, is, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Listen, I, I hope that you understand that when we come in and the band's up here and we're singing, it's not an entertainment, it's not a mini concert before the main event. Okay, it's, it's not this is up here and they practice all week and boy, they did a good job or they did a lousy job, whatever, however you want to classify it. But it is a time to draw all of us in that we might all of us lift up corporately praise and worship to God. Cheerfulness. God has done so much in us. And again, to be heavy and to go to, go to, to this topic is, is quite the swing for James. But the reality is that some of us in this room today are hurting and suffering, but some of us in this room today need to become alive with thanksgiving in our hearts. We, don't, we, we sometimes don't look around and we, we miss what God's doing around us because we, there's so much more that we want. But God has given us a family. He's given us a marriage. He's given us children. He's given us a job. He's given us a home. He's given us health. And sometimes I'm afraid what we need to all do is get on a jet airplane and go to a third world country and live for a little while. Then we'll come back and we will value the cup of water that we hold in our hand. We'll value the food that we have on our table. What if... We could do that. Listen, folks, we need to awaken something inside of us that we would start to count our blessings, as the old hymn said, and name them one by one because God has done great things amongst us and in our lives. So if you, if you are cheerful today, please bring your thanksgiving, bring your offerings, bring your praise, bring your lips, and just bring it to God in prayer. There are times, though, when your life's so heavy, you can't utter a word. I don't understand. You're suffering. That's when you just 
bear your heart out to God. There's also a time he tells us here, if you look on down in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him. If there's sickness, there needs to be intercession and confession. James gives us here a step-by-step plan for, for those who are dealing with sicknesses. And the first thing he calls us to do is, is to call for intercession. Intercession is that prayer whenever I am praying for you because you are sick, because you are struggling, because there's a depression that's so deep inside of you that it has immobilized you. you, you but here, notice this, that he says you need to take the initiative. It says, you, you who are sick, you call the elders of the church. You call them to pray for you. He gives us very quickly three things that we need to think about. Enlist others in prayer. Call on the elders. If you are sick today, call on the people around you who are spiritual giants. Spiritual giants in your life. Maybe they don't carry an, an official elder role, but, but call on those who are spiritual giants in your life to, to pray for you. Number two, enlist medicine whenever possible. Notice what he says here. He says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing him with oil. Now, again, we come to something today that's a bit, that's a a, a kind of a biblical interpretation thing. What does it mean, this this whole anointing somebody with oil? Because you've got to understand the Bible and, and healing and Jesus was the great physician. But when you get past the life of Jesus, you don't see a lot of constructed healing going on. The only time in the entire New Testament letters that directly deals with physical healing is in this passage of Scripture, in the letters, in the the epistles that were written. The second time that that even oil is mentioned, in the anointing of oil, is also in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, when he talks about bringing anointing oil, somebody who's sick with oil. So what is this whole oil thing and the prayer thing and and the elders thing? You can't build a, a big doctrine on this and go out and sell your holy oil to, to, uh, on eBay or something like that. It won't work that way. It's not about this ma- magical oil. There's two primary views on what this oil was. Was it medicinal purposes? And that is probably the more accurate of all of them, that, that it was definitely used for medicinal purposes. If you think back to the, to the, to the, in history, how they would claim that... that, that, that uh, that, uh, that oil was used to, to help in paralysis. Galen, uh, a second century physician, recommended the best of all remedies for paralysis was, was oil. Whatever oil it was, I don't know. Even in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you find that that man who was sick and beaten and left by, dead to the side of the road, what did they do? They took him to the inn and they anointed him with oil. So probably one view is that the oil that they spoke of had some medicinal values to it. There's a second view out there, too. And we're going to kind of walk both lines today. That maybe the second view is that the oil that they anointed people with was merely a symbol. It wasn't so much the power of the oil again, but maybe it was the symbol of God being brought in. The Holy Spirit is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit is oil at times. So maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is brought into the healing process. We're going to do something today that we've never done, and even for me to utter these words, it's a bit, it's a bit difficult for me, maybe given my historical uh, background, but hang with me on this. 
We're, we're not afraid to try something new at Grace Point. We're, we're going to take God's Word for it today. If you're sick today and you want somebody to pray for you, we're going to have not only times where you can come and just bear your life in these pillows and cry out to God, but we have right here a table with some oil. And we're going to, in a few moments, again, during our time of response, we're going to have uh, David Mills and, and Pete Finfrock be, be just here ready to pray with you. If you want God to pray with you and to anoint you with oil, then this is a time. Maybe you're dealing with a sickness that you, you really can't name, or maybe you don't even have to go into all the details. You can just come to these guys and just say, God, I, I need God's help and healing in my life. The third thing he said is, is trust Jesus as the healer. Because you anoint them in Jesus' name. Okay? I'll tell you right now. It's not going to be in the oil. It's going to be in the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you right now that I believe in miracles, but I trust in Jesus. All right? Don't get those two swapped. There's a lot of people, it's that Benny Henny kind of thing, whenever you get the trust in, or trust in, I guess you believe in Jesus, but they trust... Excuse me, I get it all mixed up now. I get myself. Believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. Never never reverse that where you are trusting in miracles, but believing in Jesus. See, it's about Christ. We leave the healing results up to Him. The matter is, is that God does do tremendous healing when we come together in prayer. God does a great work. The National Institute of Health, John Hopkins University, Georgetown University have all done studies talking about the value of prayer tied to healing. Duke studied a group of 40 or 4,000 people over the age of 64 and found that those who prayed regularly had significant lower blood pressure than those who were less religious. Dartmouth Medical Center, one of the best uh, predictors of survival among 232 heart surgery patients, was the degree in which they prayed and exercised their faith. The University of Miami researched AIDS patients who became long-term survivors and were more likely those who were involved in their religious convictions and practices. Several medical centers studied prayer and faith and have shown that there is a, speed, a speedier recovery for those dealing with depression, alcoholism, hip surgery, drug addiction, stroke, rheumatoid arthritis, heart attacks, and bypass surgery if we are pray, people of prayer. So here's the, value, here's, the, here's the challenge to you today. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Rejoice and worship God. Don't hold back. Give God, in your, give God yourself in worship. If you are sick today, we call you. If you want to, in a few moments, to come and let people pray for you. You know, the greatest sickness, though, is not the sickness of the body, but the sickness of the soul. And I would be so doing this passage an injustice if I did not bring out the next few verses. Because he mentions in verse 15 that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes our sins have brought on our sicknesses. I will not even begin to say that every sickness is tied to sin. That you did this. I will say that all sicknesses lead back to Adam and Eve. Yes, I will say that. We have to look at our own lives and say, what did I bring on myself? 
What, what sickness is, is, is my own because of the life that I've lived? Verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that they may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. God wants to do greatly in you. He wants to do powerfully in you. But He asks, He wants to do it through the righteous person, the person who's been set right with God and who is walking rightly with God. Are you today? Or is there something, is, is the barrier between you and God, the barrier between you and your healing, the barrier between you and hope for tomorrow, is it unconfessed, unrepentant of sin in your own life? The greatest greatest sickness is not the sickness of the body. It's the sickness of the soul. The amazing thing is is that the body and soul are so close together that the body tends to catch what the soul has. So if our soul is sick, we have to be very, very careful that it doesn't spill over. With His stripes, we are healed. Man, if you'll come back up here. We're going to have a time now where we even offer the Lord's Supper or the communion. There are four stations, two in the back and two in the front, that we want, if you are a follower of Christ today, you're a child of God today, you're following Jesus today, and your spirit is right with Him, we want to invite you to come and to partake. We realize today that, that maybe before you partake of the Lord's Supper, the first thing you might need to do is get right with God. You can do that in your seat where you're at. You can come here and kneel at the front. This is your time. I warned you in the beginning that this is a highly involved, interactive service where you can move around and be a part. You can sit there and write out your prayer to God. You can sit there and reflect on the words of the songs. At times they'll sing. At times they'll be, they'll be silence. But I pray whatever you do, you truly elect your inner person become one with your outer person. That you will be honest and transparent before God right here, right now. And allow Him to heal you. Allow Him to encourage you. And then if you are encouraged and cheerful today, you would join in in worship to God. Would you pray with me? The sheer, Lord, enormity of the number of people in this room, God, I can't even begin to imagine where our hearts are. There are people in this room, Lord, that are suffering from sicknesses and ailments that are life-threatening. There are people that, Lord that it will not be the sickness that is diagnosed by some physician, but it is a deep depression that has captured their soul and is taking them down. And on the outside, they appear to be here today normal and fine and good, but on the inside, there's darkness. And those people, Lord, are sick and they need prayer And, Lord, if they feel comfortable, if you will give them that comfort level, Lord, then help them to feel free to come and ask for it. Lord, others in this room are just suffering, are just hurting. 
And they, Lord, don't even have words to speak. Lord, would you right now just give them the confidence to come and pray. Bring somebody with them and pray with them. Lord, may we also reflect on the healing of our own souls today as we take communion. We will truly look deeply into your face as the ones, stripes, beatings, lashings, crucifixion, Lord, brought healing to our soul. Be our healer today. We pray in Jesus' name.